Hello, Henrietta. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. And in this episode, we are it's a bit businessy, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we were asking the most open-ended question, <laughs> I think, of, of them all. And the question is, what does it take to run a fashion brand? Yeah, what does it take to be a fashion brand? To be a fashion yeah. brand in this age. And yeah, that's a wallop of a question. And I think this question is very interesting because we've definitely been talking about it a lot we, um, we amongst work, ourselves. We work in, in building fashion brands. Um, I think we've, we've both done that in our, in our yeah. careers. And I think what's been interesting is we've been talking about it a lot recently, but through the perspective of, you know, oh, but my client thinks this is a good idea. And I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> and then I'm like, and then this decision was made, but this is the thing we're trying to achieve, you know? And so we're really talking about decision making and pivoting and and process and process and then we're like oh my god did you hear that barney's has gone bankrupt did you hear that forever 21 is now out of business? like we're kind of having these conversations that all begs the question what does it actually take to be a brand because i think from the luxury side of things right through to fast fashion through to wholesale we're seeing brands go out of business and it's there's no one one common theme if you look at forever 21 i mean not even five years ago they were printing money yes if you look at barney's it's an iconic institution absolutely how that you know it's it's it just seems a little bit um tricky because i think before there was a bit more of a playbook whereas now you have so many tools in the arsenal there are so many combination of things that you could do at any given time yeah Who's getting it right? What does it take? I think, you know, can brands really have a point of view? Because is that enough to survive or can that be detrimental? Uh, What's the role of performance marketing? To me, performance marketing, while there's a really high ROI, is kind of the beginning of the end, especially with all of this kind of data breach, people wanting to know where their data is coming from. I think almost everyone at Facebook is going to go to jail. Like, I think that gravy train is going to end. So then what happens to that i mean brands are tanking a lot into performance marketing what happens when those tactics go away are people gonna have to start thinking about building brands again when i look at barney's i think the beginning of the end was when they stopped focusing on brand i mean barney's was iconic and then they bypassed a lot of things like the internet like uh, is how important is relevancy how important is influence how important is the legacy (laughs) those well those three things sound important but to a ceo i don't know that doesn't impact the bottom line that doesn't pay the bills so you have these intangibles like relevancy and legacy and influence and then you have these more tactical things like performance marketing and like the things that feel you know challenging in in, in, at times so what is the right combination e-com versus experiential versus retail versus multi-retail it's a lot and I'm wondering what is it that one has to do to actually be a resilient brand. And I don't think there's a I don't think there's an answer to that, at least at this time. But I have to tell you, when I think about fashion brands and um and them just continuing business and growing and all this sort of thing, 
I, I'm, I'm in full panic. <laughs> I'm in full panic for those brands that I work with and I'm in panic for the brands that I see out there and, and, and what they're trying to do. And But for me, for me, it's really about the consumer audience uh, changing so drastically and being so disloyal because the access is so great. We can access anything in Athens or as you can do down your, you know, your side street in like in, in seconds. And I, you know, I've been talking about this and writing about this for a good 10, 15 years that when, you know, all of your products and your brands appear on one screen and is accessible to the world, that is a massive, massive, massive culture shift. That's a massive shift in how you consume. And I don't think, I, yes, in many ways, there are all these other tools to try to sell to people and so on and so forth. But I think it's been more disruptive. These tools are more disruptive than they are, than you're able to sort of corral them to your advantage. And that is, to me, the biggest, biggest issue. All of the questions that you ask about how to reach consumer, how to message to them, how to image to them, how to keep them coming back back. Yes, all of that goes under this this sort of like shady umbrella right now where it's like, ooh, can you rely on them beyond their current purchase? But is it, I think we have to also shift where we put the emphasis because I think, yes, customer acquisition and customer retention are probably the two things that keep any CEO up at night or CMO, all the executive team, all stakeholders. But is it that the customers are being disloyal or there are too many choices. I mean, we saw it in TV when there were just four or five, um, what are they called? Regional channels or whatever. Uh It was what it was. And you had, you know, everyone watched this show on a Friday night and everyone watched, I don't know, The Bold and the Beautiful, whatever these shows are. Yes. Then cable came along and broadband came along and you had literally upwards of a thousand channels. So was it that the customer became disloyal? Did they just have more choice where they're, you know, there's only so many hours in a day, there's still, you know, a certain number of people. If you're spreading that over a number of channels, the distribution and the attention span looks very different. And I think it's the same with brands where it used to have a handful of big box brands, a handful of designer brands, a handful of contemporary brands, mm-hmm. a handful of designer brands yeah. that really hovered above the the landscape. Yeah. Now it's so saturated and, uh, you know, for the most part, clothing is clothing. I could buy a black pan anywhere I've now got literally thousands of brands. When I go to like a Net-A-Port or a Matches, sometimes I go there to say, okay, I just want a bit more of a curated edit. I want to know what's what's going on. I want to know like who, who, what designers should I be caring about? Who should I be investing in? I'm literally like, oh my God, there are... Totally overwhelmed. There, I can't even find a sweater. There are so many versions from so many designers and so many brands and it's it is such a saturated market that I don't think that we can lean on the disloyalty of a customer as how crowded and saturated this market is. And I think therein lies the problem. How do you acquire and retain a customer against a, literally thousands of brands that do what you do, that say what you say, that make what you make? I mean, you have to have a really unique point of view and a really unique brand proposition and vision to really stand out but then you get really specific the reason I think homogeneity is a problem in fashion is because you are trying to be all things to all people Mm -hmm. to impact that bottom line so then there's also that balance of having a point of view doing all the things that you know your competitors do and that brands have to do that customers like and be in all those places so it is a really 
it's really a kind of dichotomy of, of it's very complicated, but then I'm also like, are we overcomplicating it? Like, are there certain strategies? Like, I really believe in branding and, you know, culture and listening and having a point of view and sticking to that. But here's the thing, I, and I think from my perspective, that's a huge issue as well in that the brands, the designers, they are now so insecure. You cannot sit in a place of confidence if, you know, there's quicksand beneath your feet. 100%. And that's the feeling that I get. So you can feel, and part of that disloyalty, as I said, and, I, and I, what you just said is part of the same, it's part of the same discussion, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just the disloyalty, it's the saturation of brands and so on and so forth. But I, I really think that it, it puts everyone in such an uncomfortable, such an uncertain, and such an insecure place is that you may have the confidence for this season, but you you may not you cannot transfer that confidence to the next season yeah. or the next year. And it looks different it's because so so scary in many and ways. And it looks different because I think what's different is things happen faster. I think before you had a longer time span. So to your point about even designers being insecure, it's like from season to season you're being assessed. Yes. And there's no runway of like, well, you know, let's give them a tenure. Let's, oh. you know, do. now it's like last season you were hot, this season you're you are not. not. Bye-bye, my friend. Versus, and the sell-through will drop off, you know, in double-digit percentage. 100%. And it's the same for brands, big box brands, startups, because they're beholden to investor money, usually shareholder pressure. And I think that the time that it takes to kind of make mistakes or to develop strategies or to develop a point of view. You're often not playing the long game, thinking about what's the vision we're trying to build. Right. You're making short-term decisions for immediate gain. And I, I and I honestly think those are the decisions, those short-term decisions that are made for immediate gain um, are what contribute to even gaffes because Absolutely. you're just like out, out, out. No one's really talking. No one's you know, giving critical thought. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden you're putting things out there that social media have backlash to. Then the CEO's out or the designer's out. And I think all of these create a precarious um, environment that just, I think, I think fashion has anxiety. I, 100%. I definitely, I think 100%. fashion has anxiety. We talk about our customers, you know, Gen Z, Millennials are lonelier than ever and we're disconnected even though we're more connected than ever. Mm. I think there's also a problem internally at the brands. Everyone has anxiety. The blame culture is outrageous. And I think everyone is like, we kind of don't know how to navigate this, but we're not really going to talk about it. We're just going to make bad decisions and blame everyone else. Exactly. we have anxiety. Oh, absolutely. And and you just outlined a Darwinian scenario there in that people are just trying to survive. And hopefully the, you know, and hopefully they're one of the fittest that do survive. But that's also the thing about fashion. That's so true. Everyone is trying to survive, but isn't fashion not actually if you look at the ideals of fashion, exactly. wasn't it built on okay. not just existing? Exactly. <laughs> if you look at the idea of fashion culture and what it means to society. It's a snapshot of history. It's fun. It means something. It's It moves you. So the idea that you would then just now just try to bunger down and survive, just it's, try to exist, just get me through this quarter, get me through the season. I think also for those of us that are in it for the love of, of the industry, it feels a little bit like you're taking the, 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 jo- the, the sauce out. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why people are questioning why they want to be in the industry. There's a massive... Um, Exodus that we keep talking about that we thought was almost like a one-off, but people keep leaving. 
So well, it really the, begs the question, what does it take to be a fashion brand? Because can thing that is, question even be answered? Can that qu- and the thing is, people are not, um, you know, I think a lot of people are leaving because they are not being compensated to the extent that they were at, at, at a time. Like, the, the business is also being, is splintering to an extent that, like... It, <laughs> You're like, they're not being fed, and they're not being fed. <laughs> their souls are not being fed, their ambitions are not being fed, but they're literally not feeding themselves not. or their families. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I feel, I, I gotta say, talk about anxiety, that's the perfect, I think that's the perfect word to use to, you know, as an industry-wide kind of thing, I feel really, really anxious. And even in my professional advisory role to brands, I don't even have that confidence that I once did that if you have deep pockets, that you'd be able to weather that storm over time. (laughs) The ones with the deep pockets are the worst. (laughs) You're literally like, so the budget was this. I have this amazing idea. We're going to do these five things. They're like, we love it. Can you do the one thing? Can you change everything about it so that it looks like everything everyone else is doing? And can you make it a third of the cost? Thank you. And you're like, but you, I came here because you have the money. Okay, Okay. exactly. (laughs) Whereas I think it's always the niche or the startups where it's like, give me all the vision, make it $5. Make it $5. Oh my word, exactly. So I, I, I find it to be a very, I find it to be a very trying time where it comes to developing, well, developing business. Like if to, to actually start a business right now in fashion, it actually shocks me how many new businesses, how many new brands I see out there. I'm like, what are you doing? But I think that I, I think that there is a fatigue for for the newness of fashion because I think with every new designer and we kind of had a conversation touching on like the influencer designers specifically. Yes. My whole thing is, okay, do we need this? What is it so, so spe- special about your talent or your point of view that we need another t-shirt brand no, or another, you know, dress brand, you know? And so I really look at it through that lens of beyond the anxiety we've just outlined, it's really stressing the planet. So I, I almost oh. get offended when I almost see a... Uh, unqualified player putting out basic nonsense yes, me and too. trying to qualify it as the thing you need. And I'm like, but aren't we being conscious even just by way of, do I need to be here? Like, you could be a great CMO at an existing company. Like, do you need to make more stuff? And I think we have to be I mean, we don't have to be anything, but I look have, at, we I, ask I, look at I do ask myself those <laughs> yeah, questions when, when I see these new brands popping up at a mind-boggling rate. Yes. I mean, the newness is, is really incredible and it, it does beg the question, where is it all going? Because I think that question of what does it take to be a fashion brand um, is really spurred by the amount of fashion brands that need to stay in business. But... Maybe we need to recalibrate. Maybe we need to redefine what our vision is. Maybe we can't consider fashion brands with the the longevity that we once did. Maybe brands are to be developed for five years, have a, a good run, and just move you know move on and make room for another make room for other players. Maybe this is a different age. Maybe this is a different age of fashion brands. Why why can't we look at it in that from that perspective? Because the steps that one needs to take, as we know, to develop a brand historically. I don't know that brands have the patience in this age. I don't know they they actually can take the time to actually go through these the step by step that they need to in order know. to establish 
I don't brands in this way. That I believe that I, my vision for the future is that brand does matter. I think what what brands mean to people will matter in the end because I think, like I said, with the whole challenge around performance marketing and data, I think we're going to see a pushback on that and people are going to go back to what do I want to align myself with? What makes me feel really good? Mm-hmm. What can I get behind? And I actually think that there's going to, we're going to almost go back to a handful of big box brands, a handful of designer brands, a handful of multi-retailers, and they will be the brands of substance in whatever that could look like. Because we see it now. I mean, we have brands left and right going out of business. And I think that those are the brands that missed a step, whether it's with getting onto e-com and, the, and and being commercially savvy on the internet, whether it's brands like Forever 21, ASOS are not doing well, completely missing this sustainability movement that's happening and completely being some of the larger corporates definitely to our the environmental challenges that fashion is having on the planet mm-hmm. um i think when you look at designers you know who are you what do you stand for what have you done in the past i mean look at dolce and gabbana for an example they have been more than cancelled i'm surprised they're still in business mm-hmm. the impact that their gaffes have had on their chinese business on their european business on the american business you know mm-hmm. we're really taking things like that seriously which who the designer is behind these brands really matters and then there are other things like, you know, do I need this? I think we see brands like Everlane. We see brands that are really embracing inclusivity. Customers like, why don't you make clothes bigger than an 18? That's a problem for me. Those brands will go out of business. So I actually think that one of the things I have a lot of faith in, even though you describe there being customer disloyalty, is customer power. I think that ultimately the market will edit the industry and I think that the the tactics that are used to make a brand successful will um, will kind of formulate a bit more because we've kind of eliminated a lot of the the weak. It's a bit Darwinian, but then I think it's really going to be about like what do brands stand for? What's our practices? Who works here? What do we believe in? How are we serving all people and not just a few? And I think those will be the values, and people will play into those branding components that will impact design and manufacturing and distribution versus not thinking about those things and everyone just being a bit of a free-for-all. Well, to that end, I think that there will will move towards a lot more smaller boutique brands that there that, that have always existed. You know, those mom and pops, you know, mom and pops is almost like something before the digital age. But in fact, I think there should be, there will be less aspiration to building out $2 billion businesses and a greater aspiration to building out half a million dollar business where you have a modest business, you know who your customers are, you make a great living for you and your family. Yeah, I, I've, said that I've before. said that before. Maybe I've, maybe I've rom- I'm romanticized this, but there are myriad reasons why there are myriad reasons why I've come to this to this thesis. One of them being, you know, this saturation of the same product globally. That is a that has been a big um, a big issue. When you travel now the globe, you don't have the distinction of product that you once mm-hmm. did. You're not able to get this like you know to 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 run upon this 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 store oh that's, God, that's only so in Florence. True. Do you remember people used to take weekend? I, I mean, I was 
born in London, but we used to take weekends to come to New York to go shopping. When Absolutely. It was, was the two to one conversion. And now there's just no reason to do that. There's no reason to yeah, do that. Yeah, that's but, a good point. And, but that has also um, um, helped the rise of these big box stores and these multinational stores that have really depleted style, personalization, and so much that fashion had offered us from myriad but regions of the saying. globe. that's saying. It's with all of these tactics and trying to service the customer. And don't get me wrong, servicing the customer is always an excellent point of view to have. But when everyone from a Dior, Gucci, Chanel, to a Nike, to a Everlane, to a Zara, are selling you sneakers and sweatshirts, okay. Okay. what is the point of view? I know they put their spin okay. on it, but that's what I'm saying. It's Brands aren't even necessarily having a bold vision that looks different for them to stand out from each other. So with everything converging, it just feels a little bit more wasteful in the sense of like, yes. well, what if if Proenza looks like Everlane, I mean, that is a bad example, but you get my point. Absolutely. What am I buying into? Exactly. <laughs> and, and I think that's the meaning that I'm talking about being put back into brands. What do you stand for? Who are you making clothes for? What are your practices? How are you distributing? And I, I do believe that, especially with the younger generation and the way that we're really looking at, you know, the grievances against the planet, um, I think there is going to be a sway towards looking at those things, and that will be what brands live or die by. But I think it's there. I mean, if you're if you if you really go deep on on Instagram, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these, you know, specialist brands that are targeting their their tribe and are selling to their tribe. They seem to do, and a lot of innovation that I'm finding as well amongst these brands. So they're there and they will, and they don't need to have this massive overhead or massive manufacturing, you know, facility or whatever the case may be. They're doing specialist business. Their tribe is loyal because that is, you know, it's a sensibility they love, it's a sensibility they've bought into and will continue Continue to buy into, yeah. and those kind of businesses, I feel, but are that is, that's so true because innovation is a key point that you raise when you're so focused on the bottom line and performance marketing, and okay. you're not innovating. Okay, you never innovate okay. when you're just trying to exist. There you and go. I think that is exactly what it's going to be. Brands that innovate and are able to pivot, and all of the things I think that we're both outlining mm-hmm. feels like a progressive and more kind of realistic and even quite optimistic future. Um, yeah. But however, I, I, I still think the verdict is out on those big brands who sort of dominate in this era and their ability or desire to innovate going forward. In many ways, they have not been so much about innovation, but just about delivering to the sensibilities of the trends of the of the of the day. Um, so I'm not sure how they I'm not sure that H&M or, you know, well, we see what has happened with Topshop. You know, I'm not sure if these kind of brands are going to be able to Zara and those kind of brands of the world to really make innovation their platform and to really be delivering things that are that they are uh, uh, cultivating in their studios and in their their because don't you know because don't get me wrong innovation is very bold I mean usually there is a shift towards a lower bottom line before you see the benefits of that innovation Mm. so Zara being a really good example shifting from complete fast fashion kind of practices that are problematic for the environment to a more conscious model I mean they basically print money being able to put stuff out very quickly, very cheaply. What does that look like when they move away from that practice and how will they handle that lull in profits? You know, so I think that all of these questions are um, 
interesting ones. I, I, I don't, okay, I don't claim to have the answers to any of them, but I think we need to be talking about and asking these questions because I think that we at Brands, we're like running ourselves ragged. And I think that the short-term gain of everything is really causing a lot of anxiety. And I think there's something to be said for vision and branding and believing in something and pushing culture forward that I think often gets missed when we're so busy thinking about the short-term tactics for the immediate gain. And we are going to need to reassess this more is more is more is more. You know, these these brands are built on, on that strategy. Let's just give them more. Let's sell more. Let's expand more. I think there has to be a shrinkage in in, in one's thinking about, yeah. you know, about market share and, you know, and, yeah. and smearing more products. And I think, it, I think they'll get, they'll definitely get there because that's just not the consumer sensibility. Increasingly, people are editing. They're editing their choices. They're editing their wardrobes. They're editing their, um, their relationship to consumerism. So I think that, you know, you follow the money. So I think inherently, less is more is going to be a bit of more of a prevalent mindset. I think it's how it's handled and what that means for the saturated landscape of who survives and and who doesn't. But I got to tell you, I can't wait for that narrative to be put into action. That is going to be an interesting time. I'm actually fascinated by, you know, the, the, the culture dictating that just have what you feel you need. Let's start thinking shrinking rather than expanding. I I'm, I, I welcome, and mind you, I'm a person with an end, a massive wardrobe. I have variety upon variety in my wardrobe, but I'm also at that place. I also feel that responsibility to like, no, I said, well, I'm certainly not consuming. I'm certainly not buying more. I have enough to, to you know, to wear in you this day. You accumulated over time. I've accumulated over time. Thank God I haven't changed size in 30 years, but that's, a, <laughs> that's another conversation. <laughs> that's another conversation. We'll do an episode about Jason's secrets. <laughs> but yes, that, I think that is, um, uh, that is an important point. And on that note, do you think we have, um, <laughs> I'm kind of out of comments because I've given myself a bit of a headache, but, uh, I mean, of course we'll be revisiting it because again i think it's a it's a topic that would would do well discussed with other voices so maybe we bring someone in to talk about it because I, you know i agree because you it's know it's a very narrow conversation with just the two of us true and fashion is has this lore for so many people you know so many people continue to dream of entering the business of working the business and they have a an impression of it that i i, I think what we're trying to do here what we're doing here is bringing some reality um, realities to this, to, to the understanding of the business. Yeah. And on that note, we will see you the next time. Bye-bye.